morning, everybody. Happy, very wet Wednesday down here at least. And welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's assistant editor, Jason Beatty. Good morning, Jason. Morning, Susie. Got my mug too. Where you are? It's pouring down here, Lewisham. Yeah. Oh, good. Thank goodness me. Now, this is the People's Paper Review. So get into the comments, ask us your questions. We'll do our best to answer them for you. Those of you listening later on podcast will just have to fight the government for 70 years and see how far you get. So what have we got for you this morning? Well, the mirror has splashed on World Cup news. Is this news uh, that Qatar has banned symbols of peace and love from the tournament? Because who needs that stuff? But more on that later. First, I want to take you to page six, where there's my report. It's my show. I can do my stories of some really extraordinary scenes in Parliament yesterday when politicians from almost every party united to call for wider recognition and compensation for nuclear test veterans. It came a day after the reason we didn't have a news agenda on Monday is because I was busy at an event where the prime minister's very welcome announcement was made that there would be a nuclear test medal following a four year campaign by the Mirror and 70 years of waiting by the veterans and their families. And yesterday it was discussed in Parliament, uh, and here's a flavour of the mood in the Commons. Roll VT, please. Yesterday's announcement was a huge victory for our nuclear test veterans and their families. Finally, these veterans will now receive the long overdue medallic recognition that they so deeply deserve. When I've met nuclear test veterans and their family members in meetings and at rallies, I found their passion for justice truly inspiring. And I want to take this opportunity to specifically congratulate the tireless perseverance of nuclear test veterans campaigners that made today's announcement happen, including Labrat's BNTVA, The Daily Mirror and their columnist, the relentless Susie Boniface. I was privileged enough to join them at the National Memorial Arboretum yesterday to witness the announcement and hear their moving testimonies. The outburst of applause was followed by deep sighs of simple relief that these medals have finally been agreed to, 70 years on from the first British test of a nuclear weapon. Now, that was just a flavour. That was Rachel Hopkins, the shadow veterans' minister, responding to uh, Johnny Mercer's uh, announcement in the Commons about what was going to be done. Now, Jason, you've got so you've got the Tory Johnny Mercer there announcing that the medal was just the start of a recognition programme whatever that means, and I'm sure we'll find out shortly, uh, nodding along with his Labour opposite number, Rachel. We also saw ex-plied MPs, the DUP, the SNP, Tory grandees, backbenchers, all standing up and saying something needs to be done. So what more needs to be done, really, for these long-forgotten heroes? Now, can you remember, you were in Parliament a long time. Can you remember a time in recent history, anyway, when they've been this united in, in one particular cause or any point really in, in the Mirror's long campaign for this, that we've had that kind of response from the policymakers. So first of all, Susie, um, I, I, you deserve lots of praise for this. And as they said in, in, in the Commons, um, the relentless Susie Boniface. I'm having that added to my business card. <laughs> I, 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 I'll stand witness to that because I, I know how hard you have worked behind the scenes at the Mirror to make sure this got the, the the coverage it deserved um nagged um, complained thrown toys out of pram <laughs> what um, do you mean page 24 yeah inveiled yourself <laughs> um berated yeah all of those words harangued at times yeah but but um 
And also, as you said, it, this is not just a four-year campaign for for medals. This is a isn't it a, the, the longest running mirror campaign? I think we started this in the nineteen eighties. I think it's the longest running Fleet Street campaign, possibly the history of newspapers. Yeah, we started yeah. the early nineteen eighties under Richard Stott. Uh, yeah. Editors, so, so, so first of all, kind of, you know, to, to, to get this far after so many years of perseverance is, is very, very welcome. Um, we, you know better than I do, but, 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 but you know, you, you, we've kind of got so close previously promises for, from previous prime ministers who, who, who said, yes, we're going to do something about this, only to be kind of kicked out of office um, because of our own faults has not helped the situation. Um, but but finally on Monday we, we, we you know we, you got some away in the campaign, and yes it is quite unprecedented to to kind of see such cross party support on, on on this issue, and kind of you know but it it it's taken a long time for people to actually realise the injustice which has happened here, but um, these people were serving their country, and, and they have suffered debilitating illnesses and our children have suffered debilitating illnesses as a result because of the alleged exposure to radiation. Um, so in answer this very long answer to your question, and I hope you're gonna answer it better than I can, but what what does more need to be done? I mean I you know a medal is 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 something, but it's it's not proper compensation, is it? And I think if I'm correct that other countries like Canada and Australia have given substantial compensation to, to their nuclear test veterans. Yeah, and they're nuclear test veterans who are our nuclear tests. So in Australia, they've had a commemorative medallion uh, for quite a long time. They also get priority medical care. In New Zealand, they get genetic counselling for their children. And they had a medal from the Queen in 2002. And, you know, we only miss getting one from our Queen by a few months, of course. And uh, it was the year that she took the throne, first off in 1952, when the first test was held. So it would have been really appropriate if we could have got it from her. And I really don't think she would have objected at all. Um, but it's got to be said as well that this is a huge amount of campaigning that's gone on for years by the British Nuclear Test Veterans Association. Less so recently, but they've they've campaigned for a very, very, very long time. It's an august organisation. Uh, Lab Rats, which was founded fairly recently by sort of a splinter group, and The Mirror, and many, many people at The Mirror, not just me, the backbench, uh, the subs, the editors, various editors that I've seen off over the years who I've um, complained at and said, why, why are you doing this more? Um, yeah. So there's lots of people been involved in it. Um, but I'd like to, if I can, just be self-indulgent, I'd like to praise every single veteran that I've spoken to over the years and who have never once said to me, I'm not telling you that. They've never said no. And they've never said that's personal. They've always opened up everything that they've got in order to try and get this done, which is sort of fairly unusual for any journalist to find. And that picture there is of Eric Barton from Worksop in Nottinghamshire. Now he has campaigned with the BNTVA and as part of Lab Rats for decades. He's a cancer survivor. His wife has had miscarriages. And this is just one guy out of 22,000 who was at the test. He was at a series of American tests that we sent our troops to on Christmas Island. And at the start of the year, these guys were told there is no point in you meeting a minister, even a junior minister. You're not going to meet anybody. You have no case to answer. And in the space of 11 months, finally, this picture shows that the state, someone in gold braid, has turned and is giving them a hug. And that is the thing that matters. That's why we campaigned for a medal. Um, it's not compensation, Jason. You're right. It's not war pension reform. It's not what these people really need. But... 
it's that it's that recognition it's that moment of acknowledgement it's when the, the the people in gold frogging give a hug to the people who really really need it and the relief that rachel mentioned in that video was palpable in that room it was really emotional moment now steve says he was there he's one of the speakers Monday was fantastic. It was so emotional. It was the start of getting veterans and descendants what they rightly deserve for the state to finally say we see you was so important. When we met Andy Burnham a few months ago, uh, or maybe a year ago now with some of the veterans, he said what you need is your Hillsborough moment. You need that that moment when the, the when everyone, the, the moral compass just corrects itself. And that's what happened. And that was what was so important. But out of that, to answer your question, Jason, out of the medal precipitates everything else that you do need. Because once they recognise there was a need for a medal, an important service, then they start looking again at war pensions. Then they start looking again at compensation and the fact that other countries compensate all their veterans. And some of the things that happened in Parliament yesterday, Johnny Mercer, who is not his fault, but is very badly briefed, I think. Or no, incorrect. Very carefully briefed but perhaps didn't quite see the holes in the briefing that he was given by civil servants um, to say that other countries do things differently and that the science isn't there to prove the case on compensation and stuff like this, and that war pensions are all available. War pensions are not given to nuclear veterans. They just don't, they just don't win those cases. We had one guy at the event on Monday who had had three hours being grilled um, while suffering debilitating illness on Zoom before he could get to the event. And they're put on trial for a war pension and it's not acceptable um so there's much more needs to be done and you know there is science that proves some of this well isn't this the other issues susie i did it was quite interesting you talking about how how open and forthcoming that the, the the veterans and their families have been and that contrasts with the the stonewalling from the ministry of defense on which is as i think you pointed out is in previous articles is, has refused to to release information and medical records which could settle a lot of these issues once and for all. Yeah, there's there's the issue about stolen blood, basically. So anyone who doesn't know, um, the veterans have reported to me for years they have blood and urine records taken at Christmas Island and at Maralinga and at nuclear tests. And when they've applied for their medical records, they're just not in there. Um, and we managed to find a memo which detailed uh, blood counts for one squadron leader. When his daughter applied to the RAF, she was told, we do have this. You can't see it, which is potentially a criminal offence. Uh, she did manage to get a version of it from the atomic weapons establishment uh, in um Harwell and they confirmed they held a number of records for test veterans so a number of test veterans now are just asking the AWE for any blood they've got I suspect what happened and why Mercer has got the briefings he's got which is to say that uh, all medical records are available to the men I suspect the blood counts were not categorized as medical records they were categorized as part of the experiment and so they were kept separate so when you apply for your medical records you get the fact that you fell over and cracked your head once on base you don't get the fact that your urine or blood showed signs of radiobiological monitoring and problems there may be linked to fallout so there is more work to be done there and uh, we certainly need to get into the government and start explaining the stuff that they're not having explained to them and I don't think it's the officials conspiring against this I think it's just an institutional inability to interrogate the facts and they see, to be to be fair, to some extent, they see it in the mirror and go, because they didn't read the mirror at their school. 
Uh, and, um, you know, that's that's it pretty much. But what's really amazing in some of this stuff is that what Mercer has said is that the medal and recognition is going far wider. So, for example, he's mentioned um, indigenous people in Australia and the South Pacific uh, who were just as much victims of the UK's nuclear testing program, where their lands were contaminated and the repeated cleanups of them didn't make an awful lot of difference, which is unsurprising when you consider that uranium-238 has got a half-life of four and a half billion years. Of course, you can't clean that up. Now, Jason, would you expect if, if that kind of stuff is being talked about, there'd be some maybe some geopolitical issues start kicking in here, foreign countries looking with interest at what Mercer's saying, maybe asking themselves what more than a medal their men can get, because this medal would go to Australia and New Zealand veterans of our test too. You know, perhaps some ambassadors are going to be instructed to hold a few meetings with the government. What do you reckon? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a really thorny territory, unfortunately, Susie. I, 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 mean, uh, I mean, anything, we saw this with COP27, anything which kind of, kind of refers to kind of Britain's colonial past um, you, you you get um, the kind of people becoming incredibly defensive um, and kind of unwilling to acknowledge, you know, the, the, the legacy we left as a, as a as a country. Um, so yes, I can I can see it widening. I can see it becoming a a, a, a diplomatic uh, kind of question, um, but I can also see the political problems behind that. Yeah, that, that's obviously why they refused and rejected a medal for so long and yeah. fought us on the simplest, easiest, cheapest thing. But because yeah. it was the simplest, easiest thing that they'd find hardest to deny is why we asked for it. Uh, it was not a campaign that was ill thought through, put it that way. Um, yeah. But this is why they had that problem. And I don't know how they're going to address some of this stuff. They've got to really square a circle with some of that. And it's going to be really sticky, but not my problem. It's the problem <laughs> with the brigadier in the basement, isn't it? So, um, you know, he's going to have to have to just bite it, I'm afraid, and say, yes, terrible things happened and, and we need to make restitution properly. There are Aboriginal lands which are still contaminated with plutonium, uh, found out in research, I think, earlier this year. So there is still a lot more to be done. Now, keep asking us your questions. What do you think about the nuclear test medal? Would you like more? Are you a nuclear veteran or descendant? what more would be necessary um, as we've discussed there there are war pensions that are being rejected and appealed and veterans are being forced to go through incredible um, ordeals to try and get hold of a couple hundred quid a week it's ridiculous there is blood records that have gone missing and are being withheld and that is still being denied and obfuscated by the ministry of defense who are not addressing any of the detail in the mirrors uh, report and in fact, the founder of the BNTVA, Ken McGinley, said that his records have been withheld from him for decades on the basis that revealing them to him would actually damage his mental health. I would argue they'd probably cure any um, any stress or anxiety that Ken might have towards the end of his life uh, if he knew actually what was going on. But still, we'll find out in the longest in the long term, won't we? Because it's not like the mirror or I am going to give up. We're relentless. Now, um, on to some other stories. Uh, some even more astonishing scenes, I suppose. Uh, yesterday, the ex-Wales women's captain, women's football team captain, Laura McAllister, was ordered to remove her hat before she entered the stadium in Qatar because it had a rainbow on it. You can just about see it in that little picture there on the right-hand side of the page. Um, a Danish reporter had to remove his rainbow armband live on TV. And even the Belgium team was ordered to remove the word love from inside the collar of their away kit, where you'd think hardly anybody's going to flip and see it. 
But Jason, what right does Qatar have to set the rules for FIFA, which are the organisation that's issuing all these diktats? Or maybe we look at it the other way around. What does FIFA think it's on that it's done this dirty deal with, with a, a very regressive and repressive regime um, and, and and now is is kind of trampling over and insulting people because they want to express their identity. And, I, I, and it comes back to this really nasty, could be a chance to break down barriers, work across nations, bring people together. And yet countries like Qatar and before Qatar, Russia, which was the previous host of the World Cup, and before that, you had China hosting the Olympics, are using sport as a as a kind of form of of, of propaganda and as a form to uh, kind of kind of whitewash the reputation. And it's worked and the, so well, hasn't it? And, and unfortunately, the sporting authorities, whether it's the the, the, the the Olympic authority, the IOC, or whether it's FIFA, collude in them because they get lots of money out of it. And I mean, it's a difficult one. I mean, you could argue that, you know, Pakistan, for instance, has a pretty horrible human rights record, but we still play cricket against them. Um, and you could say that, you know, we can't, you know, pick and choose which countries we play sport against in some instances, because otherwise we'd just be playing amongst a kind of very small group of slightly self-righteous nations. But on the other hand, the kind of the corruption involved and the unwillingness to stand up for basic human rights um, is deeply unsatisfactory. <laughs> yeah, I'd quite like to see the Self-Righteous World Cup. Um, goodness knows who'd be playing it. Maybe we'd have a slight chance of actually winning it. That would be good, wouldn't it? Um, I think Jason is frozen, so goodness knows if he can still hear me or not. I'll have to witter and see if we get him back and if the, if the image is actually working. Yeah. But get into the questions, ask us your comments. What do you think yeah. about how Qatar is handling? Is he back? Is, what does he think about Qatar is handling um, the situation here? Now, the thing that bothers me, Jason, really, is you know what did Qatar expect when they invited the debauched, equality-obsessed West <laughs> to come and play yeah. football? Did they really think we were all going to put on an abaya, forswear alcohol, and decide to be other than our hardware decrees? I mean, this is, I mean, it, it seems to have backfired on them quite badly, hasn't it? I mean, if, if they were using this for kind of propaganda purposes, I mean, all it's done is draw attention to the, to, to, to you know, the, the very bad human rights record. And, 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 but I still think the blame primarily lies with FIFA. I mean, FIFA could make a stand on this. He could say, look, if you want the honour of hosting a major tournament, then you have to accept that, that nations and participants should be able to express themselves in the way they want to. And, and I mean, the only silver lining of this, so as I was reading this morning, that, 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 that the, the Welsh firm which is making these rainbow hats, the sales have gone through the roof. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they have exactly. increased the mind. Yeah, now Steve says, I think Steve's the only person watching today. Steve mm -hmm. says, Qatar behaving this way is reinforcing just how intolerant and oppressive they are. And it is, yeah. you're right, Jason, it's such an own goal because, you know, basically what they're doing is telling the whole world not to go on holiday in Qatar unless you want to be victim of a crackdown of some sort, even in, when it comes to wearing of your hat or what's inside the collar of your shirt, which I'm sure is the opposite of the point that they were trying to make. 
when they uh, used FIFA at the height of one of the most corrupt uh, scandals in in sporting history to get uh, the approval for the for the World Cup, and of course that's something that Russia and China benefited from as well. FIFA's supposed to have been cleaned up since then. Maybe they need someone else to do the cleaning. We'll have to see, won't we? Um, but you know, well, how anyone's going to get through um, the next couple of weeks, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, at least Peter Tatchell's being sensible and staying away. I wouldn't like to see um, such a, an absolute cultural institution as Peter being clapped in irons in a Qatar basement. So uh, everyone who is there, well done for trying to wear your hats and armbands, but please look after yourselves. Now, keep asking your questions. If there's anybody other than Steve watching, what do you think about the nuclear test medal? What do you think about what the government should be doing to uh, restore and um, make up for the for the events and the happenings of the past? Do we just say, oh, well, it happened and move on? Or do we have to do more about it? What do you think about Qatar hosting the World Cup? Is it going well for them? Um, or is it going quite badly, about as badly as it is for the Iranian team? Uh, get into the comments and let us know. We'll try to have a wrap at the end. But first off... There is some good news in the world, and we found it for you. Here it is. Now, after a year of bad parties being in the news, uh, thanks to Pippa Crera, formerly of this parish, it seems that the message has finally got through to politicians that the public take a rather dim view of taxpayer-funded shenanigans. Hooray! The body which decides MPs' pay and perks has issued guidance about how they're allowed to hold Christmas parties on expenses and not go too mad. And MPs of all parties are up in arms saying, this is ridiculous, it's not happening. Why would we? Innocent, Gov. Innocent. Uh, definitely not me. Um, Jason, is this proof, do you think, that after 13 years of scandal from the original MPs' expenses uh, backlash, that it will get through eventually even the tiniest brain on the most obscure backbenches? Or am I being optimistic and they haven't got I it? I think you're being actually unnecessarily cynical about this, Susie. The, the, <laughs> the, 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 the issue here is, is that MPs did not ask for this allowance. Um, it was... Um, there, there were... This was a decision made by IPSA, the independent watchdog on MPs' pay and expenses. Yeah, they are also they are the ones who also raise MPs' pay independently of MPs. Yeah, and and, and MPs get the backlash for this when actually it's not something you've asked for in the first place. You know, I kind of I have a lot of sympathy for MPs on this case, but, but most MPs I know on all parties are in it for the right reason. Most of them are not venal. There is a small minority in every party which is, and there are some which are, are, are kind of, you know, on the make and on the take. But they're a tiny minority. Most MPs I know work extremely hard. Um, they make a lot of sacrifices to do their job, and they care a lot about their constituencies. Again, not all of them, but they have this incredibly bad reputation. And actions like this by IPSA do not help. And actually what it does is it drives people away from wanting to enter politics, which is not a good thing because we want to get people of best possible calibre. And it tars all MPs with the same brush. So the public go, oh, they're all the same. And, and that just actually kind of undermines faith in democracy. So it's a terrible decision by IPSA. Um, and it's very unfair on the MPs. 
Yeah, but uh, we can have an argument about the independent parliamentary standards authority some other time, perhaps. But I think it's, what's interesting is that this guidance has been in place for some time. They've just clarified something. So actually, they have been allowed to have taxpayer funded Christmas parties for their staff, it's got to be said, um, for some time, which I, I suspect now that historical Christmas parties are going to be something that maybe Pippa Carrera, maybe other journalists are going to be sniffing out and it's not well, going to be... I think there's a massive difference here between Boris Johnson, who was breaking his own COVID rules and became the first Prime Minister in office to be issued a police fine, and MPs who employ a small number of people on actually not particularly good pay um, uh, having an allowance like any other employer um, in any other business to actually give them, you know, a, a, a thank you present once a year. But they're, they're very, very different things. <laughs> yeah, of course they are. And as Mike just points out there, this was guidance about office costs and how they operate and that they can include a Christmas party uh, if, if you really uh, want to do that for your staff. But as we have said, it's not a great look. And the benefit is, I think, that there's a lot of MPs who have realised it's not a great look and are prepared to say so. Although it's got to be said, um, it, you know, there are, even when you turn around and say, well, we don't want to do this, it's a terrible idea, it, this still leaves the impression that, hang on, they're having Christmas parties. People only get half of it and it still, you know, doesn't look too good. Now, I think we've got one more comment. Derek says, the MPs' gravy train should be stopped. I've never seen any gravy in the House of Commons, Derek. I mean, I'm sure there is some, and it's probably subsidised, but um, I, I've never seen a gravy train. I have, as Jason has seen, lots of people work very hard. If you imagine, it's not like a, a group of mates who are all sort of chowing down at the same trough. It's like an office building, and there's loads of people in there who don't know anyone else, and they just go to one room in that office, and they talk to the four people they know every day, and there's one MP who's their line manager in charge of it. And that's kind of it. And occasionally they get a phone call from the leader of the party and tell to do this and that and the other. But all those MPs aren't all like in a conspiracy, because half of them don't know anybody else who's there, or they hate them, or think oh, they're awful. Why would I speak to that person? So it's not it's not quite as it appears sometimes. Jason is right. But this mm. look of the gravy train, Jason, isn't it? That perhaps yep. they realise the PR. They need they need a better press is what they need. <laughs> Public relations would probably help. Don't leave it up to the MPs because some of them are very strange. Uh, now, thank you very much, uh, Jason, for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for taking part. Uh, Prime Minister's questions will be carried on these channels later on. So come back and have a look at those. Uh, and we'll have to see what happens. Uh, I, I'm going to be nice about Rishi Sunak for one week because he gave me my medal uh, next week as business as usual. Um, but until then, uh, we'll see you again next Monday for another edition of the News Agenda. Tatty bye, everybody. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Susie.